come to the climactic chapter of the Gospel of John. The most profound statements are made in this passage. This is an exciting account to study together. I'm very excited to be here and to be able to do this today. So what we're going to do is just jump right in, read the text today, and look at what unfolds in the remainder of this account of the appearances of Jesus. So open with me to John chapter 20. Grab a Bible, or if you need a copy of the scriptures, raise your hand. We would love to have you see this here for yourself and hold God's word. So John 20, verses 19 to 31. Now, this is the account of the resurrection of Jesus through the eyes of his closest followers. As they process the truth that he is alive in real time. Okay, now this whole chapter, we talked about it two weeks ago as we looked at the first part of it. It's centered on this central word, believe. And so John 20 has four examples of people who came to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. They came to trust in him, to, to have faith in him. And these four examples, we looked at two last time, we'll look at the next two today, are, are, are experiencing shock and confusion and fear and doubt as they come to believe that Jesus is risen from the dead. So we looked at the first two last time in verses 1 through 18, shock and confusion. So this morning we're going to encounter the next two. And starting in verse 19, fear and doubt, which can often describe us as we come to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. So let's, let's read our text this morning. Grab your Bible and follow along with me in John 20, verses 19 to 31. This is the account of the resurrection of Jesus and the reaction of his disciples as he appears to them. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together... With the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, Put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. And Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, 
and that by believing you may have life in his name. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. This is an unbelievable passage. I love this account and what unfolds here. So remember, what we're going to see as we look at this text is these early believers in real time, as they encounter the risen Jesus, we're going to see their reactions and the way that Jesus walks them through them wrapping their minds around this. And we're going to see primarily fear with the disciples and then doubt with Thomas. And so let's jump in and look at those two different parts of the passage. We'll go to the first section in verses 19 to 23, the disciples fear. Now, it was Sunday evening, and by now word had spread to the other disciples that Jesus' body was gone from the tomb. And so they heard from Peter and John, the burial cloths were there, just lying in the tomb, and that Jesus was gone. They'd heard from Mary that she had seen Jesus. She reported what he had said. And so, what do they do? They hide. They lock themselves in a room. Because they're afraid of the Jewish leaders. Now you can imagine Jesus was crucified. He was executed. Their fear is of the Jewish leaders because they may accuse them of stealing Jesus' body. Or they might think, okay, well they killed Jesus. They're coming for us next. Now we know from Matthew 27 that the Jewish leaders tried to prevent this whole scenario. They didn't want to have Jesus' body stolen and have some, you know, uh, rumors going around about what happened to him. And so Matthew 27 says that the Jewish leaders put a stone in front of the entrance and they placed guards in front of the tomb. And Pilate, the Roman governor, he had already condemned Jesus to be crucified as a traitor. And so these disciples feared that they would be handed over and that the same thing would happen to them. Now, let's just stop here for a moment and ponder this. Let me ask you, have you ever been afraid of admitting that you know Jesus? Think about this. I think the world that we live in, this particular, there's particular ways that this kind of comes out. We, we, can, we can find ourselves in places, in contexts, or in conversations where we can be afraid to admit that we know Jesus or afraid that we, we, we say that we would trust, that we would believe that he actually rose from the dead. See, at this moment, the disciples feared for their safety. They feared to be known. They feared to be found out as people who know Jesus, who followed him. But something changed. Okay, this is what happened in that evening in this locked room. Jesus walks through a locked door. Did you see that in the text? And he says to the disciples, peace be with you. Jesus looks at the fear, the fright on their faces, and he brings a message of peace. See, he showed them his hands and his side. Friends, his hands were nailed to the cross. His side was slashed with a spear and blood and water flowed out after he had died. And so when Jesus shows up at this moment, this most profound change happens in the disciples. The text says that rather than them being afraid, it says that they were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. And Jesus then commissions them to be his representatives of his forgiveness. Okay, I don't want you to miss this, okay? Go look at the text now. 
as he gives them this message of peace and their fear turns to joy, did you notice what is the key to their peace? What is the reason that they don't need to be afraid? Let me read again, verses 22 to 23. With that, he, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Friends, I need you to see this. He brings them a message of peace because they will have the Holy Spirit. God's own presence, the intimate, personal, empowering presence of the triune God himself with them. This is where their, their peace ultimately comes from. It's the finished work of Christ, his resurrection, and then his presence with us day by day. Let me go back to that question. Have you ever been afraid for someone to find out that you follow Jesus? I want you to ponder that challenge, especially as we go through the rest of this passage, because the reality that Jesus actually has risen, the presence of God with you by the Spirit, it is an absolute game changer in realizing where your hope actually lies and not being afraid as the disciples were to be known. Okay, maybe here's another way to say it or an application of this. If you're afraid, my prayer for you is that Jesus would invade the locked door of your heart. That you would know that he is real. That you would see him working in your life. That you would come to know him personally. That you would see his powerful presence. And that your fear would turn to joy as you trust in him. In whatever you face. Okay, we've talked about this one fear. The, the passage spends quite a bit of time dwelling on the doubt of Thomas. And so that's where we're going to turn next and spend the rest of our time. So uh, Thomas's doubt. Go to verse 24 and following now. Um, this, as this unfolds, you can tell John is relaying his own experiences. He's watching this because, of course, he's known Thomas for a few years now. Apparently, Thomas was not with the disciples Sunday evening. And, and he later heard that Jesus had appeared to all the other disciples. And so um, his response reveals a lot about how some of us respond to Jesus' resurrection. Now, let me back up for a moment. Who was Thomas? The text tells us that his name was Thomas, which is an Aramaic name, but his Greek name was Didymus. Now, both of those names mean twin. And I love this because I'm a twin, and I can uh, kind of see myself in this story a little bit here. Um, I'm actually the younger twin, and I can relate a little bit to Thomas's response here because I bet, I, I would say if I had to wager on this, I would think that Thomas was possibly a younger twin because uh, we younger twins gain a little bit of a thick skin after you've been pushed around by your older sibling a little bit. And so uh, maybe it's that reaction of, okay, prove it. You know, I'm not going to just take your word for it because my twin brother has has pulled the wool over my eyes a few times. So I could see Thomas taking that approach, right? Now, Thomas desires proof. He wants to see the physical evidence. Friends, this has so much to apply and relate to in our world. So many people that you encounter are going to say, show me the evidence. And Thomas... Here, we need to kind of understand his approach. I think he often gets a little bit of a bad rap. Thomas, we look at him and we say, oh, how could he have doubted? 
How could he have asked for proof? How could he have stepped back at this moment and said, no, 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 I won't believe unless I touch the nail holes? You got to understand, as we look at Thomas and the rest of the scriptures, Thomas was a bold and devoted disciple. Previously, and we've already looked at this in the Gospel of John, he previously had urged the other disciples in John eleven sixteen to follow Jesus back to Judea to help Lazarus, who was really sick, even if it meant death. He literally says to the other disciples, let's go with Jesus that we may die with him also. Thomas, incredibly bold to put his life on the line to follow Jesus. See, he was an eyewitness to the raising of Lazarus. And yet, I find it fascinating here that when he's told that Jesus is alive, he wanted to see Jesus' resurrection with his own eyes. He's like, I, in his mind maybe, well, I saw Lazarus. If Jesus is really alive, then show me where he is. Now, Thomas is also a very practical guy, and he took things very literally. He remember from John 14, he was the one who questioned Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to my father's house to prepare a place for you. And he says, you know where I'm going. And Thomas, very practical guy, he looks at Jesus and he says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? He's like, where's the GPS coordinates? Tell me exactly where I'm supposed to go. What path? Like, tell me, tell me the le left here, right there. He wants to know specifically what Jesus is talking about. You see, as we look at Thomas, he's a passionate, inquisitive devoted follower of Jesus who wanted to know the truth. He was a mixture of engineer and philosopher. Can I put it that way? He's one who would have worked really, really well in like an R&D department. He would have said, don't just tell me, don't just guess, prove it. That's Thomas's approach. Now, Thomas demanded to touch the nail holes in Jesus' hands and the slash in Jesus' side. He did not, I need you to see this, he did not merely want to see the wounds. He wanted to touch them with his own hands. Now, apparently Jesus heard him because here's what happened. Jesus shows up again the following Sunday evening. Okay, it had been a week. And Jesus again walks straight through the locked doors. And he looks directly at Thomas. Okay, look at the text, at how this unfolds here. Verse 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. And then he said to Thomas, do you see this? He doesn't even wait for anybody to say anything. He looks directly at Thomas. And he says, put your fingers here. See my hands? Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Friends, you need to see this. Thomas, at this moment, was on his way to despairing unbelief. If you put yourself in his shoes, three years watching Jesus do miracles, listening to him teach, following him everywhere that he went and seeing the incredible things that Jesus had done. And now he's in Thomas's mind, he's gone. He's dead. And, and all the things that Thomas had put his hope in, everything that he had left in his life, everything that he had turned away from to follow Jesus is now in his mind evaporated. He's on his way to despairing unbelief. And he says, I just want to see Jesus. 
And Jesus challenges him at this moment to carry out the test, the experiment, the proof that he desired. He says, touch my hands and my side. Here's the evidence you demanded. How gracious of him to meet Thomas where he is. You see, Thomas had not seen the grave clothes like John. He had not heard Jesus' voice like Mary. He was not there when Jesus appeared to the disciples the week before. And so like many of us, we would say, like Thomas, I want to see for myself. And in an instant, Jesus is there in the room and he says to him, stop doubting and believe. See, friends, I want you to, as we back up and look at this whole chapter as it unfolds, all of the characters, all of the people in this chapter had some evidence or proof or a realization of what was happening. And there's an intensification in each one. We mentioned this as we started chapter 22 weeks ago. Each character in the story has an intensification of the revelation of the fact that Jesus is alive. John merely saw the grave clothes at first. John and Peter. Mary hears Jesus speak her name. Another sense. The disciples saw Jesus' wounds. And then now Thomas touches Jesus' hands and side. I'll maybe pause here to say this. It is a privilege and an incredible reality that these early believers got to see Jesus face to face after his resurrection. And there's a reason why this chapter intensifies and culminates in Thomas, the one who doubted. Because this is why this chapter's in our scriptures. It's to testify to, of course, the resurrection of Jesus, but to walk us through the kinds of reactions we may have as we approach the resurrection of Jesus, and then to lead into a church era and time where we will not see Jesus face to face. He has ascended to the Father. And what are we going to do with that reality? You see, Thomas becomes a template for all of us who read the story about Jesus from a distance, from a historical and time distance, from ones who don't have Jesus here physically in the room. We have not seen the grave cloths ourselves. We haven't heard the audible voice. We have not seen Jesus nor touched his hands inside. And so like Thomas, we have heard the reports of the eyewitnesses. Here they are. Like Thomas, we are challenged to believe. Thomas gets his wish. He wanted to touch the wounds himself. But I, I, I need you to see this, dear friends. Verse 29, Jesus says some of the most profound words for the age of the church that we are in. Verse 29 says, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. There's something even greater about walking by faith. What God calls us to in the grand design and purpose of his church is that we would be wholeheartedly devoted, walking in trust and in faith. That he calls us to this wholehearted devotion to step out in faith with something we can't see and touch for ourselves. So much greater than what Thomas and his belief 
was based upon. See, the physical evidence matters of, of absolute importance. Jesus actually has risen from the dead. But now, for 2,000 years, there's been generations of believers whom are blessed. Blessed. Because we have not seen and yet have believed. Friends, this is you and me. There is blessing. Maybe I'll say it a different way. There is a unique blessing in believing that Jesus rose from the dead without having the ability to have that physical evidence touch the nail holes yourself. Let me remind you, okay, let me, let me point you to another passage in the scriptures. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. Peter reflects on this later. He says, though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith. The salvation of your souls. Friends, this, this drawing into a life of trust and faith pulls us deeper and deeper into surrender to Jesus. You see, we've not seen the grave cloths either. We haven't heard that voice. We haven't seen, we haven't touched. But we are called to something great and glorious. We are called to trust as Hebrews 11 verse 1 says, and you'll see this on the screen as well. Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. He is risen. He is risen. And the calling of us here in the church is to say, yes, I believe. See, this is what Jesus taught Thomas in this moment. Your heart is involved in belief. It's not merely an intellectual exercise. This is why this account ends with Thomas and this, this story as it unfolds. We need to remember your heart is involved in belief. What you love, what you worship, what you live for is involved in belief. Jesus wants you to trust in him. He wants to transform your heart. He left to return to heaven as he ascends, and we'll see that maybe later as we look at the, the rest of this gospel and going into the book of Acts, which was probably our, our next series that we're going to do. He left to return to heaven, and he gave you his Holy Spirit in order to teach you to live by faith. And to surrender to your, your life to him is an act of trust. You see, what Jesus desires most is your wholehearted devotion. Your entire life. Wholehearted, whole life discipleship. To follow him. See, what I love about this account of Thomas, and I'm going to go back one verse now. Thomas, the one who doubted. Remember, inquisitive, impassionate, devoted Thomas. He becomes the one who expresses the most profound 
and clear profession of who Jesus is in all of the Gospel of John. This sentence is the culminating moment of the entire the entire gospel. Thomas looks at Jesus after he touches the nail holes in his hands and the slash in his side, and he says, my Lord and my God. If you go back to John 1, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. You look at the fact that the Word was made flesh, John 1, 14, and came to dwell among us from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. This is Thomas's exclamation of who Jesus is, my Lord and my God. And so here's, friends, here's my challenge for you today. Trust in Jesus. We believe he rose from the dead. We see the physical evidence in the eyewitnesses here. Friends, his hands were nailed to the cross for you to pay for your sin. His, he was pierced in his side and the blood flowed to wash away your guilt. He rose from the dead to conquer sin and evil and death. He freed you from the slavery of sin. He is an offering so that you would have new life. To become a new creation, to be renewed and redeemed. And when you trust in him, I need you to hear this, when you trust wholeheartedly in him, you will be blessed. Blessed are those who believe and have not seen. God will lavish his grace upon you with the free gift of forgiveness and with the gift of his presence. In Jesus, you will find peace. Friends, this is the whole purpose of why John wrote his gospel. I don't know if you noticed the very end of our text, and this is where we'll land today. We've been studying this book for 18 months. We started in September 2022, I think. Uh, we went through all of 23, and now here we are in early 2024. We've been studying this book for quite a while, and verses 30 to 31 tell us the entire purpose of John, why John wrote his gospel. Look at these verses again. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Friends, this is the blessing. Talked about the blessing of trusting by faith. The blessing is that you would have life in his name. That by believing that new life today through the forgiveness of sins and rebirth to be a new creation, that we have life today because of what Jesus has done. And we have life tomorrow in our resurrection bodies in the new heavens and new earth where we will live in a renewed creation where all sin and evil and death is gone. We have life in his name. I need you to know this. As we look at the resurrection of Jesus, res Jesus' resurrection is not merely a resuscitation of his body. It is a transformation unto the resurrection body. The resurrection body that we will share when we are resurrected. 
See, 1 Corinthians 15, if you want to go deeper in some study after John 20 on the resurrection, use 1 Corinthians 15 as your devotions this week. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 42 and 43 say this, The body that is sown is perishable, and yet it is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. It is raised in power. It is sown a natural body. It is raised a spiritual body. This is what we await and look forward to. Paul is describing in 1 Corinthians 15 like a seed being planted in the ground. And as that seed perishes in the earth, it sprouts to be a beautiful plant, a gorgeous testament to God's redeeming, life-giving power. This is what the resurrection is like. And meanwhile, we could go into more detail on that, but meanwhile, we await the resurrection body. See, Paul writes later in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, He says, for we know that if this earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling. He's talking about the resurrection body. I don't know about you, but sometimes you you probably feel that groaning of this life of this world we live in, of this body we inhabit. And in this way, as we walk through these difficulties, we walk by faith. And after we have walked this life of faith, we will be in the presence of our risen Savior Jesus on the new earth. Friends, I don't want you to miss this. This is a part that we can sometimes overlook or not see the full implications of. When Jesus appears to his disciples, he has his resurrection body. And did you notice that our passage today says that he still has the nail holes in his hands and the slash in his side? This is astounding. I need you to hear this, that forever on the new heavens and new earth, you will see the physical evidence that Jesus died for your sins. You will see and be able to touch the nail holes in his hands and the slash in his side. We walk by faith today. When we are with him in heaven, we will, walk, we will see him face to face. Eternally in the presence of our risen Savior Jesus, to see him To cry out as Thomas did, my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Lord, we so long for, I I look forward to that moment where we walk by faith today, we, we're in these groaning bodies, longing for our resurrection bodies. We sometimes cry out for that same evidence of just show me, show me physically, Lord, what it is. You call us to live by faith. You are truly risen from the dead. And as we walk by faith, as your church, as your, as, as your people, 
as we stand in the grace that we've received through the cross and through your resurrection, as we look ahead to that future reality, Lord, renew our hearts to walk by faith, to trust in you, that when we're afraid, when we're afraid if people are going to find out that we know you, that we would just place ourselves firmly back in this reality of trusting in you and knowing that our future is secure no matter what people think about us, no matter what this world does, no matter what conflicts there are, no matter what our government does, whatever, Lord, we stand firmly in the faith that we know we're redeemed and saved and we know where we're going. We long to look ahead to that or be in that, in that day, Lord, to be with you. Thank you that that's secure because of only what you've done. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.